0: The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and visual teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Hello once again. It's been a while. Hey, uh, before I get started, I want to invite you and draw your attention to baptism that's going to happen in a couple weeks. And so next Sunday is not only launch Sunday, but also on that Sunday we're going to do an orientation for baptism. What that means is that if you have not been baptized as an adult, uh, but you at one point have said you were a follower of Christ, then we want to let you know more about what that means and what how baptism is a part of that journey. Uh, you can attend that orientation uh, uh next Sunday, and it's not a commitment. You don't have to be baptized, but you can at least come and make sure you understand what that's all about. Then on the 28th, we're going to gather in here and have a baptism celebration on Sunday morning. It's going to be fabulous. Hope you're all there to celebrate that with us. So uh, let me continue the uh, journey that we've been on, our foundation journey. in pop culture, of course. Now we're into week number two of the Olympics. And as I said last week, the older I get, the more interested I am in the Olympics, etc. Uh, and and um, I think part of the draw for the Olympics, or really any sport, is the, is the fascination around the rivalries, that, that, that athletes, these elite athletes, they rise to another level when the, operation, when the opposition rises when the when the person they're against when they have greater opposition they get stronger that's why there are so many world records that happen every 4 years as part of the olympics these athletes they don't get more fit over the, uh, you know, they're not more fit than they were two weeks ago, but they're more driven because they have uh, greater opposition because there's stuff that's stirred up there. And if you've been watching the Olympics, you know, Michael Phelps, he, he kind of does well when Chad LeClo taunts him a little bit with his shuttle boxing. If any of you saw that, and, and the commentators are going, Oh, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> you're poking a, a giant there, you're poking a monster. And so that's pretty entertaining. And then uh, there's Lily Banks, another American swimmer who uh, was stirred up by uh, Fimova, the Russian swimmer who... who should have been kicked out because of some drug issues. And so Lily Banks was saying, I'm going to beat her. Drugs or no drugs, I'm going to beat her. And then there's uh, Katie Ledecky, who doesn't have any opposition. Uh, if you're watching, I mean, she doesn't need any opposition. She's, she's done. She's out of the pool and she's toweling off while the rest are still, you know, finishing the race. She's amazing. Absolutely mind-blowing. It's awesome. But so with the exception of Katie Ledecky, most people need opposition and it kind of stirs them up and pushes them to a different level. So let me ask you, who is the opposition in your life? Where does, that, where does that resistance come from? Who is a person or perhaps a number of people who, who push back on you to, to force you to come in with your A game? Who push back on you that make you kind of have to stand up a little stronger? Who's your enemy? Now, I'm not talking about someone who encourages you to do better. That's the coach. I'm talking about the enemy, the one on the other side, the one who seems to take away your joy, who seems to want to take away your self-confidence. Who is that person in your life? Is it perhaps a teacher? Is your teacher an adversary or was a teacher an adversary? Or your parents? whether you're young or you're old your parents can be in that role where they're just you're just butting heads all the time or maybe it's a coworker and you just ah oh, there's just this thing you 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 respond differently to that person or it's your boss or maybe it's your ex or maybe it's your current spouse or maybe it's the government or clinton or trump i mean who who is it who is kind of who is, who's your enemy who's your enemy? This morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at this idea of of identifying the enemy. Who is the enemy and then how can we respond accordingly? Now with this journey, uh, we're on uh, this 40-week journey throughout this year of identifying 40 foundational passages of Scripture. And if you're not familiar with the Bible or you're not familiar with the overall story of God, this is simply a great place to start You don't have to memorize them all, of course. I know some of you are, but the invitation is to to embrace these verses as a way to help you understand the overall story. What we're doing this year as we walk through these 40 foundational verses is we're doing a chronological journey from the very beginning of time to hints that we have of the very end of time. And in this chronological journey, where we are right now is about 60 A.D. with some letters that were written as a part of our New Testament. And uh, this this section is called The Revolution because it is just a few decades after Jesus ascended back into heaven, and it's the revolution that his followers expanded beyond Jerusalem to, to other parts of the world, this revolution of love that they started. It's an essential part of the New Testament story that we find in the last part of our Bible. And in that journey, one of the leaders of this revolution is a guy named Paul, And Paul is is one of the leaders of the church, and he writes to the Ephesians. He writes to the people in Ephesus. And in chapter 6, we find our verses, our foundational verses for today. Chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. He says, "...put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood." but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, this is our foundational verse for today, and we're going to have that up on the screen for the rest of our time. I'm going to look at some of the verses prior to this, and so you can look at those in your Bible, if you have a digital Bible or whatever, or if you brought an actual Bible, um, Not that the Digital Bible is not an actual Bible, but if you brought a paper Bible, please feel free to follow me on that. But these verses will be up on the screen with you today. So I know many of you are familiar with Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 11 and 12, but there's a struggle that I have with these verses. There's a tension for me as I read these verses, as I think about them, as I talk about them with other people, as I let other people know that I believe these verses. There's a tension. And that tension is that on the one hand, it's true. It's true. There is a devil. There are uh, 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 forces in this dark world. There is an enemy. And, you know, We see this throughout Scripture, that Jesus himself, he was tempted um, uh, in the desert. By whom? By the devil. I mean, that's the story. That is the story, is that Jesus was tempted by the devil as a part of that journey. And multiple times, uh, Jesus talks about... Um, uh, casting out demons from people. Multiple times we see that as part of as part of Christ's story. At one point, he sends out the 72, and they when they come back, Jesus says it's, he sees Satan falling like lightning from heaven. And then one of our foundational verses a number of months back, Jesus says that there's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Remember we had the 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 sheep pen up up on top here, and there's a thief who wants to climb over the edge and steal, kill, and destroy. Now, Jesus doesn't use this language because his people 2,000 years ago were uneducated and not enlightened. Jesus uses this language because it's true, because it's part of the story, that if we read the Bible, it's not just one or two incidents of this idea of something supernatural going on around us, Multiple times throughout Scripture, there's evidence of an enemy. There's evidence of something, uh, of, of spiritual warfare. And so, so on, on the tension is on the one hand, it's, it's true. There, there is spiritual warfare. There is a battle going on around us all the time. Folks, we are at war. And there's tension between that side and the other side is that these verses are churchy. And I don't know if we're on the same page in terms of what that word means, but there's, there's kind of a cheese factor to these verses in some sense. And here's what I mean, that over the past 50 years, these verses in Ephesians chapter 6, they now look like this. Or this. Or this. The rosy cheeks. You know, because it's such a, it's such a beautiful metaphor for kids to help them engage with Scripture. And were oh, you, you putting on your little armor of God today? Oh, aren't you cute? And we have little, little games that we play with kids. and oh, I've got my armor. I'm a soldier in the army. Whatever. And so there's this cuteness to it. It's kid stuff. It's really cute. It's, it's kid stuff. But, but where do adults land on it? See, an adult Christian can talk intellectually about a lot of things, about history, about science, about archaeology, about morality, about politics. An adult Christian can engage with a number of different topics. But as as soon as an adult Christian talks about the armor of God or the devil's schemes, in many cases, we might as well give great details about our alien abduction. You know what I mean? That's about as, as well as that is often received. And so there's tension between the truth of what these verses say and kind of the current uh, churchiness of them. Which is why I was so thrilled in 1999 when this happened. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Yeah, I'm just teasing you. I'm just teasing you uh, with the amount that I gave there. I could have given such a longer clip there. In fact, uh, I, maybe we should have just shown the movie and say, and just that's all we did this Sunday. That would have been a great Sunday, I tell you. The, there, it's just an incredible metaphor, that movie, The Matrix. I know it's 17 years old. 17 years ago is when that movie came out. And I know that Keanu Reeves is still not a good actor in that movie. I'm not not pretending that for a second. I mean, it's awful. I mean, there's no question about that. But there's something powerful about that story, about the Matrix story, that that notion of of understanding spiritual warfare in terms of a blue pill and a red pill, That, that any or all of us can take the blue pill and say, I choose to, to not believe in the spiritual warfare piece. I choose to not believe in, the, in, a, in an actual Satan. We're at different times. We have a different understanding of what goes on. I believe in a loving God, and there is, there is no darkness like that. I'm going to take the blue pill. Or we can take the red pill, and the red pill is simply an invitation to, to the truth as outlined in Scripture, as uncomfortable or, or churchy, as awkward as that might be, the red pill is this idea of saying, I want to live out the rest of my days, every day with this understanding there is something else going on around me that I can't see. And it's, it's this notion that is so clear, I think, in the movie The Matrix. In fact, when each of my boys turned 13, I loved uh, uh, the, the part of the deal was that we would watch The Matrix together. And um, and they were excited because it's actually a rated R movie, and so it's their first rated R movie, you know, as far as I know. But uh, <laughs> you no, know, I'm not that naive. But but as far as I know, it's their first rated R movie, and and it's just an exciting journey. It's a great opportunity to to sit with my, each of my boys and just talk about the metaphor. I encourage you to watch the movie again. Watch it with different eyes in terms of this spiritual warfare metaphor and see if there's something helpful for you. I encourage you to watch it with your kids and let, let this be an opportunity to talk about uh, what's going on in the, in the world around us, what's going on uh, in, in, from an unseen perspective. I think the matrix is a gift from God. I think it is a parable from God. Here's, here's, why, here's why I think this. It's not from the Wachowski brothers, because I saw Matrix 2 and 3, and that, that's not from God. I mean, I don't know what that is. But the first movie, there is a parable that is so, so profound. So, as we hear, look at the tension here of Ephesians chapter 6, we need to understand the enemy and then respond accordingly. That's, that's what I think these verses are saying. Understand the enemy, understand who the enemy is, and then respond accordingly. At the beginning, I asked you, who, who's the enemy for you? Who's the opposition? Who is your adversary? And most likely there were people, there were names that, that popped up. And yet Paul says here in verse 12, he says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That the person who has hurt you deeply is not your ultimate enemy. That the person who said something to you that cannot be taken back, those words that maybe a number of years ago that continue to roll around in your head and you cannot recover from that scene, that person is not your enemy. The person to whom you are married is not your enemy. It's not your enemy. The enemy wants us to take, the real enemy wants us to take the blue pill and just assume that all the bad stuff that's going on in, our, in this world and in our lives, et cetera, all of that is, is the result of people and things that we can see. The enemy absolutely wants us to embrace all that because that creates division amongst us. If we identify that person as the enemy, that separates us. And in turn, that will separate us from God. That the enemy is happy for us to, to assume it's that person who is taking away my joy, taking away my hap- happiness, taking away my self-confidence, taking away my self-esteem. It's that person's fault. The enemy doesn't want credit. He wants misery. It doesn't matter that we, whether we give him credit for it or not. He just wants misery. He wants mayhem. He wants, um, he, he wants uh, uh, destruction. We need to understand the enemy, understand who the enemy is, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And uh, Paul says in verse 11, at the end of that verse, he says, it's, a, it's about understanding the devil's schemes. We've got to understand who the enemy is. And the way we do that is we understand the devil's schemes. What, what's his plan? What, what's his plan of attack? You've got to understand that, that, the, that the devil really doesn't like you, Really doesn't, really doesn't care about you, doesn't want you to follow him, doesn't want you to worship him, doesn't really care about you. In fact, he hates you. He despises you. The reason he despises you is because God loves you so much. The enemy really wants to get after God, really wants to go after God, but he, know he can't. It's like a fly bumping up against the, 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 the window in your home. It's just, it's just not going to get there. But what he can do is he can go after what God loves the most, what God finds is most precious, and that is you. And those are the schemes of the enemy, to do whatever it takes, whether we take the red pill or blue pill or acknowledge his presence or not, do whatever it takes to squeeze a wedge between us and God. Whatever it takes between us and each other, between us and God. Anything that would push that wedge in there. For those of you who were with us last year, the first service, just so you know, they failed. So I'm going to ask you, what was our theme for the entire year last year? Trust. I heard it. Trust. I heard something else. Which I'm thankful for you trying, but but yes, it was trust. It was trust. Now I know a number of you you know that we were here. We did this for a whole year together. The whole idea was trust. That if we look at this whole story, there is a major theme in this whole story of trust. At the very beginning, uh, God's developing this relationship with His people. And he just says, "Trust me, trust me, trust me with the manna, trust me, trust me with these Ten Commandments, trust me." Just just. Don't put anything but anyone before me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me that Jesus is the Messiah. Trust me. Just, you, can, you can put your, your life on this. Just, just I put your faith in him. Trust me. Trust, trust me with your current story. Trust me with the end of the story. The whole journey is about trust. Trust, trust, trust. And the enemy just wants to put a wedge in that trust. So if it's true that we are at war, if we are at war, if we don't trust our commander, we're in big trouble. When you're in war, if you don't trust the one who's in charge, the whole thing falls apart. We're in big trouble. I recently finished a great book called "Gods and Generals." It's by a guy named Jeff Shaara, and it is uh, historical fiction about the first part of the American Civil War. And um, it's before Gettysburg, so it's the setup set set up of all of that. And in this book, it paints a pretty sobering picture of the difference between the northern and the southern armies. That the, that, the, that the Confederate Army had General Robert E. Lee. And the Confederate Army had General Stonewall Jackson, among other great leaders who were very respected among the Confederate Army and when uh, General Lee or General Jackson would, would ride by, that the soldiers would cheer and wave their hats. Woo! We are so thankful that you are leading us. And in contrast, there was the Union Army to the north who had vastly superior numbers, nearly twice the amount of soldiers that they had, and significantly more resources in terms of, of food and weapons and clothing, and they, could, they actually had boots on their feet. And I mean, they, they had way more resources and yet they struggled in their battle with the Confederate Army because they struggled with their commanders. Who are the commanders that you're aware of of the Union Army and so, uh, but prior to Gettysburg? I mean, we just don't know them because they came in, they were leading a battle, large battles with thousands and thousands of troops, and they would make huge mistakes, be afraid of General Lee and General Jackson, and then they would pull back, they would lose, they would be relieved of duty, and then a new commander would come in and do the same thing and make mistakes, etc., And so, here we have the vastly superior army of the north that is afraid of the inferior army of the south because they don't trust their commander. They don't trust these commanders who are rotating through leadership of them. We are at war, and if we don't trust the commander-in-chief of this spiritual battle, we will lose battles, and that's where the pain comes from. We're not going to lose the war. Let me just tell you, in the end, God wins. That's the picture we have. In the end, the war will be won. I mean, Satan is defeated. We already have that picture. But between now and then, if, if there's a spiritual war going on, and we don't trust the commander-in-chief, we will lose battles. And it's going to hurt, and it's going to be painful, and it's going to separate us from our God. We need to understand the enemy and understand the devil's schemes. That's his tactic, is to create that wedge between us and God. And then once we understand the enemy, we need to respond accordingly. We need to uh, 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 respond. Now, jumping back to the Olympic metaphor, this idea of understanding the opposition and then responding accordingly, that's, for the most part, that's the role of the coach, Okay, so the athlete focuses and strengthens and, and, gets, and gets built stronger, et cetera. It's the coach who studies, for the most part, studies the opposition and then knows specifically how to respond to that opposition. Okay, uh, you want to be careful with number three coming around this side. You want to be careful. With, and don't worry about number seven over there. That, that, that's, it's it's the, number eight coming through the middle. That's the one you want to be most careful with. Or it might be the coach at one point saying, okay, uh, you've got to hold back a little bit when you get started with the race. Don't give it all at the very beginning. Hold back just a little bit so you have a little bit left at the end. Okay, okay. It's the coach who sees that and strategizes, et cetera. That, That champions need coaches. And the coaches don't get nearly as much credit as the champions do. But the coaches are there and they can't do it without the coaches. And so the coach is the one that, that sees that and has, has a voice into that. A champ, champ, you don't just put a bunch of elite players in the middle and say, go ahead and play, unless it's the U.S. men's basketball team. Then you really just put them in. I could coach that team. I could coach that team. Hey, everybody, okay, glad you're here. I just want you to go and get a lot of baskets and... Uh, Let me know if you need anything. All right, good, 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 good. I mean, that's how I would coach the U.S. men's basketball team, and we'd win a gold medal. I mean, I would be a part of that. Typically, however, the coach has a significant role in that. Paul is our coach. He's not our adversary. He's our coach. And Paul here in these verses wants us to understand the enemy and then respond accordingly. And he says simply, he says, put on the full armor of God. This is how we are to respond to this enemy that we're trying to understand or or deciding if we do understand this enemy. If we want to respond to that, the way we respond accordingly is put on the full armor of God. And then in the verses that follow, verses 14 through 17, he walks out the details of these pieces, the actual different elements of the armor that we would want to put on. And all of that, I think, can be summed up with the idea of know what you believe. But all of this armor piece is summed up as when you go in, when you, are, when you are facing the flaming arrows, as Paul talks about in verse 16, the flaming arrows come at you. Just know what you believe. So when that flaming arrow comes from the enemy, the schemes of the enemy, you just take it out and you say, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true about me. That's not true about my marriage. That's not true about my wife. That's not true about you. That's not true about my God. That's not true. This whole thing can be summarized with the idea of know what you believe. You look at the different elements here. It's the belt of truth. What is true? It's the breastplate of righteousness. How am I made right before God? How does that happen? It's the shield of faith. What is my faith built on? It's not a feeling. Sometimes I feel close to God and sometimes I don't feel close to God. Faith is not built on a feeling. It's built on our our relationship and an ongoing developed relationship with God. And the bigger that is, the bigger that shield is. It's the helmet of salvation. How am I saved? How do do I know if I'm saved or not? All of those pieces, they summed up with this idea of put on the armor of God. And it's this invitation and this challenge to say, know what you believe Know what you believe before the fiery, flaming arrows come at you. That's why I think it's, it's so important for us to engage with these Scriptures throughout this year, to engage with these 40 foundational Scriptures. You identify your own list of 40, whatever, but build on your understanding of what you know about God and what the story is so that you can be prepared. That's the armor when the battle comes at you. Know what you believe so that you can know whether that arrow Is true or not. And you can just pluck it out and toss it to the ground. Now, I know that some of you are familiar with these verses. You're not uncomfortable with these verses. You have taken the red pill and you understand the value of putting on the armor of God. But I want to address three categories of people who perhaps don't feel like you're living with the armor of God. First of all, there's those of you who have lots of armor. You have lots of armor. You have, you have studied Scripture. You understand biblical history. You understand other religions. You have, you have checked out other religions. You understand the controversies of faith and the discrepancies in Scripture, etc., and you, have, you, have, you dove into those things, and you have a good understanding of that. But you're not putting that armor on. I mean, why would you want to put on the helmet of salvation if it's going to mess up your hair? Just take that, take that for what it's worth. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but it's just this idea. I have the helmet of salvation, but I'm not going to wear it. Because God can do a lot of things. God can do it. He's so amazing. He can do a lot of things. But one of the things he can't do is put the armor on for you. It's God's armor. It says put on the full armor of God. It's not your armor. You didn't create it. God, God, it's the truth that gives you armor but you have to put it on yourself. God will not put that armor on yourself. And some of you, perhaps, you have lots of armor, but you're just not putting it on. You have lots of truth and things, but you're not walking out your days with the reality that there's an enemy and you need to be prepared for that. A second category, perhaps, is those of you who feel like you have little armor. Maybe you're new to the faith. Maybe you became a Christian recently and it just there's some level of insecurity for you. It feels like everyone around you knows more than you do. You go to some group and everyone seems to talk about stuff that you don't understand and there's some level of insecurity for you. It's, it's okay. It's absolutely fine. Everyone has to start with something. Start with the helmet of salvation. I am saved. And then you, you build your armor. That's why it's so great to, to participate in launch groups and um, uh, role groups and different classes that are available so that you can meet with other people who perhaps have more armor and you can learn from one another and you can grow in your faith. That's, that's what this whole journey is. It's not about checking off a box so that we're fine for heaven. It's this ongoing journey of faith development and trust development and armor development. It's okay if you feel like you don't have much armor. Just keep on going. Thirdly, perhaps for those of you who, who don't have any armor, and, and, and maybe you're just not interested in this whole thing, um, that... Uh, maybe you're familiar with some of the pieces. You know, we've talked about some scripture this year. God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You've heard that. You're familiar with that. But you're just not ready to believe yet. Not ready to say, yeah, that's, that's protecting me. Well, I would, I would just say, based on my understanding of scripture, my understanding of the overall story, this, it's, just, it's just my perspective on it. I think that's taking the blue pill. It's taking the blue pill and say, yeah, maybe I'm familiar with some of the stuff, but it's, 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 I don't want to think about life that way. And so I, I just want to stand before you like Morpheus and just say, are you willing to take the red pill, as painful as that might be, to take the red pill that actually believes Ephesians chapter 6, the red pill that says, um, I understand there is an enemy, and I want to be prepared for that. I, I, I want to be able to respond well to that. So here's what I want to do um, in, with our closing time. I just ask if you would uh, close your eyes and bow your heads. And I want to pray for each of those three categories of people. If there's anybody here who's in one of those three categories, one at a time, I'm going to ask you to just slip up your hand, and I want to pray briefly for you. So just with your eyes closed, heads bowed, it doesn't matter what you believe, just just relax. Just relax right now. If you are in that category of, I've got lots of armor, I know a lot, but I just don't put it on for some reason. If If that resonates for you, just slip up your hand, and I want to pray with you real quick. I see a few hands coming up. Thanks. Let me pray with you. God, I thank you for the journey that these men and women have been on, for the accumulation of knowledge that that these armor pieces have been assembled and they're beautiful pieces of armor. Lots of great experiences there and books read and conversations had. God, I pray that there would be a transition from just owning the armor to truly putting it on, putting it on so that this afternoon, so that this week there's actual protection from an enemy who hates us. God, that it wouldn't be the accumulation of knowledge, but it would be an an ongoing trust in you as our commander. Secondly, I want to ask if if there's anyone here who who perhaps feels that your armor is small, that you have little armor, and, and maybe there's some level of insecurity there. If you would just slip up your hand, I want to pray with you. There's more of you in that category. Thank you. Thanks for being honest. Go ahead and put your hand down. I'll pray with you. Father, I pray for those who raise their hand here this moment. I thank you for the armor that they have on, whether it's the helmet of salvation where they have given their life over to you or the belt of truth where they they do believe you are the Messiah. But God, there's a desire here in this room among many to have more armor, to have thicker armor, greater armor, and that comes from just ongoing relationship with you that we would not be satisfied with where things are now, but we would continue to add armor. God, would you give them the courage to say, the armor I have is, is fine for right now, but may they be diligent in building that in the future. Thirdly, I just want to ask if there's any, this might be the, the boldest one to raise your hand. If there's anybody in here who just says, I, I don't have any armor, and and maybe maybe you're not even interested in putting any armor on. Whether you're interested in it or not, just raise your hand if you, if you just think, yeah, I've got no armor. Just raise your hand. Slip your hand up if that's you. Okay. I didn't see any hands, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip that. Let me close in prayer here. Father, we are so thankful for your word once again. God, help us to live out our days knowing that you you win. You are victorious. We we get to walk in victory. But God, may we remember that there is a battle going on here and there's someone who does not want us to experience any victory. Father, would you help us to balance the truth of this and the awkwardness of this in ways that that are truthful, that reflect your scripture, reflect you and your character. Build us, grow us, Build our armor as we follow you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.